Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ewan Bain, Director of Signature Pubs. Ewan, hello. Hello, good afternoon. Well, thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think uh, it can mean various different things, but I think first and foremost, in terms of people, it's it's about uh, giving your people comfort and guidance. Uh, it's about developing them into being able to perform to the best of their abilities. And probably lastly, making sure that with people in business, you get a square peg in a square hole. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I think, I'd like to think, certainly, that I could sum it up by saying tough on issues and fair on people. Could you elaborate a bit more on that? Sure. I think leadership is all about taking very tough decisions. Are uh, uh, clearly by the very nature of them difficult to do, but I think within doing that, you need to be uh, honest, upfront with individuals about their strengths and their weaknesses, what suits them and what doesn't. And I think you need to endeavour to where you have underperformance to identify why there is underperformance and to try and set a program together to bring that person's skill set up to speed. That, however, isn't always possible. And the tough initiatives thing is sometimes you just need to make a decision that this person isn't suitable. Mm-hmm. But to be fair to people, you sometimes have to make sure that you give them adequate cha- training, support, and guidance to get to where you need them to be. And does that guidance take the form of some sort of mentorship program? I think it can take various forms, and I think... Different people respond different ways to leadership. And I think for some people that might be a classroom environment. For others, it may be mentoring. Uh, And for other people, it might simply be a hands-on approach on the job, demonstrating how something needs to be done. But I think whichever one of these you adopt, I think it's important that you're clear on what needs done, when it needs done, by and what manner it needs done by and get agreement from the individual that they believe that they are capable of delivering that uh, requirement. Now, of course, um, leadership doesn't come out of thin air. It comes from somewhere. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you started your working life. Were there any particular individuals or influences on you that formed the way that you lead today? Um, I think there was, actually, and I think there was probably more than one. And I think every competent or, or, or good leader will have taken different things from different relationships they've had in the past. I, I can think of two particular uh, people I worked with in the early days. Um, one quite entrepreneurial uh, and perhaps aggressive and maybe just didn't have that balance between been tough on issues and fair on people and the air towards being very tough on issues and not too fair on people. And that, I think, demonstrated to me the balance. But however, 
driving issues was important, and he showed me how to do that. And and, and there was one other one other gentleman I worked with earlier on in my career who um, was quite procedure focused. So he was disciplined in paperwork and ticking boxes and making sure everything was in order. However, without the motivation of staff or customer interaction, uh, that can only get you so far. I think the balance Mm -hmm. of the two is quite important. Now, of course, uh, working with people, especially leading people, People aren't always at their best. They're not infallible. They have bad days. How do you handle um, conflict within the workplace? Um, I think there's there's an easy answer there and then there's a a more complicated answer. The easy one is fairness and transparency. You need to be absolutely clear with every individual what's expected of them. And you need to make sure every individual is clear on how you expect them to deliver that. I think where conflict can become difficult is when there's a grey area where the individual, what can't you can't demonstrate that the individual knew uh, the level of delivery that was expected from them. And I think, however, if they do have that, I think it's an easy reference point. You can sit down and say, well, you did know you needed to do this. You did know it needed done in that manner. You understand that your actions aren't appropriate. And I think that leads you into a pretty easy conversation. And then, then I think you need to take a view, or a rounded view, on the overall worth of this individual to your organisation. And that probably dictates the next step for you. Now, of course, there are many different sorts of leaders. Uh, there are very famous ones and not so famous ones. But if I was to ask you to whittle it down to just one, the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? I'm probably going to give you quite a boring uh, answer. I think, uh, unfortunately, I, I think uh, it, it was it was probably Churchill. However, I think it was probably him because he was the right man in the right place at the right time. Right. And I think earlier parts of his career and later parts of his career proved that he maybe wasn't as effective. But in terms of the hand he was dealt at wartime. He, he he was an extraordinary leader and the challenges he faced then met his skill set perfectly. And I suppose that's one of one of the going back to something I mentioned earlier, that's why you need to make sure you're square peg, square hole, you've got the right people doing the right jobs. Now do you think any lessons from Churchill's leadership style can be applied to the world of business today? Yes, I, I think I think they can. I think he, he had the ability to be particularly tough in issues. And I think where required, he was fair on people. And I think um, I think where many leaders fall down is they struggle to take the particularly difficult, difficult decisions. And he did not. He was robust and adamant on where he felt in his ability, excuse me, to make these tough decisions and interestingly I was talking to somebody just the other day there about this I think uh, I read an article recently that likened many very successful CEOs to psychopaths in their very um, blinkered attitude to achieving a goal and I think whilst there may be some truth in that I think great leaders understand the responsibility they have 
and what is required of them, that doesn't mean to say that once they've made a particularly difficult decision that's affected other people negatively, that they don't go home and have dark periods in, in their downtime. Uh, but they're demonstrating an outward strength that people want to follow. Well, of course, unfortunately, we aren't in a uh, position where we have a lot of time. But before I let you go, I'd like to uh, know a little bit more about Signature Pubs and what the next year has in store for it. Okay, I think we, we're in an enviable position where we don't have a set out strategic path to grow. But what we do have is we've maneuvered ourselves in the marketplace to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. And I think one of the key successes of Signature Pubs uh, is that it, excuse me, it makes sure it tailors its businesses to suit the locale or the local area it operates in. And therefore, that's often often about being nimble in the marketplace, identifying an opportunity when it rises and being able to take full advantage of that. So you'll have seen by the growth the company has gone through over the last 10 years that there has been what appears to be spurts and then periods of stagnation. And that's about not being pressurised into making purchases or growths where they don't suit our modus operandi or they don't suit the geography when they're presented. And I think that's one of the key uh, reasons why the company has been so successful and has grown the way it has. One of the other reasons that we will continue to grow and develop the business is that we have that balance we touched on a wee bit earlier, whereby we have big company structures and adherences, but it is balanced with a real entrepreneurial spirit whereby everybody from the the lowest, most menial task within the company has an influence over the the day-to-day running of the business. And if somebody is able to come up with a good idea and it's agreed, then it gets implemented. So everybody has buy-in and everybody has ownership. And because of that, the company will continue uh, to grow and I think be be, uh, sought-after and enviable employer within the licensed trade industry in the UK. Well, Ewan, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Ewan, thank you. You're very welcome. I'd like to do that. Thank you. That was Ewan Bain, Director of Signature Pumps. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you'll delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave 
woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms Mm. of... Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, it's on the theme of bottom-up, It was some of the most inspiring 
head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. I completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... And I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose 
the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, week. I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose And then you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um <laughs> but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it i mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief 
that you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for mm. a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either what, um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question and explain why. Not quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end... You've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us, it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> so, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, 
in the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the... Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019, uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.